You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm significantly better than I was last week. If you recall, I had been ill and I was recovering. Mm. I had a very bad week of family members going down like nine pins with the same thing. Oh, no. But... The light has dawned and they yes. have all gone back to their various, you know, places of not in the houseness. And okay. so I'm very good today. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you recovered. I've recovered. And I managed to get, I think because I was quite despairing last week, I was, I think I was at around 20,000 words with my nano project and I've was thinking that I was never going to write anything ever again, but I have actually managed mm. to put on about 12,000 words in the last week. So, you know, well done. I know, but you know, we're at the end of November and as, as is probably obvious, I am not going to win Nano for the, you know, fifth or sixth year in a row, but I'm pretty happy you have with more words I'm, than you yeah, started. Yeah, I have over 30,000 words on a project that I started on the 1st of November. So I'm very, very happy about that. Well and I done. really hope that everyone out there who has taken part in Nano, who has not won, is also just celebrating every single word that they do have. Absolutely. We should have done this podcast, this episode with champagne to celebrate. I think. Uh, well, Any yeah, we, probably a bit early for that. But like, yeah, we could have done that. <laughs> Never right, too early, so, she says. <laughs> by the time you listen to this, you're probably at the end of NaNoWriMo and good on you if you took on the challenge this year. And mm. uh, if you are new to NaNoWriMo, it is, of course, a National Novel Writing Month where people tried to aim for 50,000 words in one month, which is 1,667 words per day on average. Now, as Alison said, even if you don't win, as in even if you don't reach the 50,000 words, you've still started with more, I mean, you've still ended with more words than you started with. And which brings us actually to, I'm going to jump ahead to one of our links for this week, which is, um, yes, it's actually from the New York Public Library, which is one of my favorite libraries. I love it. Uh, They've um, indicated four books which actually started during NaNoWriMo. Now, did you know that Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen, uh, which became a New York Times bestseller, was, yeah, started in NaNoWriMo? I did did know that because, you know, as a person who participates in NaNoWriMo, you're looking every year for some kind of motivation and inspiration. Inspiration. So every year I look for lists that show me that people have got through. Yes. And also somebody who we have interviewed on our podcast, Hugh Howie, his book Wool, which originally was self-published but then took the world by storm, was started in NaNoWriMo. Well, there you go. There you go. So was The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern and Fangirl by Rainbow Powell. So a couple of, you know, examples of things that you can take inspiration from. You may So Nana was The Rimo. Mapmaker Chronicles. Can I That's just put right. that out? I, admittedly, I am not yet an international bestseller, but the first book Soon in The Mapmaker Chronicles and also the third were written during NaNoWriMo and the fourth book was written last year in NaNoWriMo when it's coming out in April next year. Soon to be international bestseller because <laughs> it's being released in the US when? Uh, June 2017. Very exciting. Very, Very exciting. exciting. Mm. So one person who might be helping you make it an international bestseller mm-hmm. is someone that I want to give a shout out to, and that is uh, someone who has left us a review on iTunes. And the review is titled, I Heart This Podcast, and it is by 
Mongolian Girl in Japan. Oh, so that is very an international. international. Mm. So you, your books might sell in Japan and Mongolia. Mm. And Mongolian Girl in Japan has very kindly left us a review and has said, I discovered them through their podcast episode on typewriters. Oh, that <laughs> must have been one of yours, Val. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since then, ca- cannot stop listening to them. I used to write silly poems in secondary school, but still love writing in general. Gen- in general. Currently, I'm doing my PhD in environmental science, but I will never stop writing. This podcast encourages me so much and really grateful to these two amazing women for slaying it effortlessly. Oh, I like that. Slaying it. We sound like superheroes. I I, I like that too. Slaying it effortlessly. Thank you so much, Mongolian girl in Japan. We really appreciate it. We do. And if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. All right. Now let's move on to another link that we have this week, and it's from Mental Floss, and it's 15 tips from famous authors to help you finally write that novel. And I quite like them. Some of them are, you know, a bit obvious, but some of them are uh, uh, just – you just got to remind yourself about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think number one is a good one. Keep yourself motivated by any means necessary. And that is by Friedrich Schiller. And I just really think that this is an important one because uh, w- the thing I wanted to add to it was that knowing that whatever motivates you can actually change. So um, when you, if you get a think of things to keep yourself motivated, just understand, well, you know, what motivated you yesterday may not actually motivate you today or tomorrow. So it's okay to actually change whatever carrot that you're dangling as long as it's making you put those words on paper, whether it's participating in NaNoWriMo, whether it's giving yourself banoffee pie. I was going to say, I was wondering (laughs) at what point the banoffee pie would be mentioned. We were all waiting, I'm sure. Yes, all waiting. Uh, but, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the same thing because sometimes you're just not in the mood to participate in NaNoWriMo or even to have Monofi Pie or whatever. So do whatever it takes to give yourself the mini rewards to make you get those words on paper, I reckon. Mm, so that's, that's certainly one that I like. I know one you would like because you always talk about this sort of thing, and that is by Jack London, and that is Don't Wait Around for Inspiration. Yes, I was actually going to highlight that one myself Mm. because it is one of my favourites. When I hear people talking about the muse and, you know, Mm. waiting for the muse to turn up, I just roll my – I admit, I roll my eyes because, Mm. you know, quietly and to myself, not obviously, because, Mm. you know, at the end of the day, I – just sort of feel if you are waiting for the muse, you can wait for a very long time because I just assume that she's stuck in traffic and Mm -hmm. that if I get started, she'll turn up. She'll come rushing into the room with her hair wet and her handbag untied going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I got stuck in traffic. Um, But by that stage, you know, we're we're already underway and she can just slide on into the conversation at that point. Um, And Mm. I think one of the most useful tools for that is the, I mean, I've talked about this before, the hashtag 500 in 30, um, which is not incidentally my hashtag. I have no idea where it came from, but I do love it. Um, And that is setting yourself the, uh, the task of writing 500 words in 30 minutes. Now, if you sit, if you, you can do anything for 30 minutes. And I think um, John Birmingham talked about this with his Pomodoro technique. If you sit down and think, all I've got to do is crank out 500 words. Now that's about four paragraphs, right? Anyone can do four Mm. paragraphs. If you sit down and go, I've got 30 minutes, I'm going to aim for 500 words. What you will usually find is you start writing Things happen and before you know it, you've written more than 500 words. You've probably sat there for a bit longer and you've actually got your words done for the day. And I think that um, that's a really great way to start. You start writing and the inspiration will come. And I think I have always worked by that belief. I think it's, you know, really, really important. And I think Mm. the other one I particularly like um, on this list is the one from Louisa May Alcott, which is Mm. don't worry too much about your process. Yeah, because I think that there's an awful lot of, there's so much writing advice around. I mean, listen to me here. I'm giving it to you as we speak, ironically. Mm. (laughs) Um, Mm. I think one of the most important things that I I have learned over many years of writing manuscripts and millions and millions of words is that nobody writes a book 
the same way that you do. Everyone approaches writing in their own way and there isn't a right way to do it and there isn't a wrong way. And you can definitely learn from people who do it way better than you and you can definitely learn tips and tricks. But what you basically do is you try out a whole lot of stuff and you work out what works for you. And, you know, whatever works for you is the thing that gets you to the end of the manuscript and that's that's the key to the Mm. whole thing. And if it's, it's, you know, I mean, I laugh about my friends with spreadsheets, but – that's what gets them to the end of the manuscript. And I think that it's, it's. Um, I mean, I think if we have a gentle poke at each other, I think that's totally fine. But mm. don't worry if your way is not my way, is not Valerie's way, is not someone else's way. You just write the way you write and, you know, yeah. keep going until you get to the end of the manuscript. And that's the key to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one that I also like, and I think is really important to mention is don't compare yourself to anyone else. Because we are our own worst enemy when we compare ourselves to, you know, people who are already famous and have been doing it for years. That's just silly. Mm. But then there are also those who compare themselves to their peers, you know, somebody who has just released their book and, and, and you're thinking, oh, why can't I just be like them? Or why can't I get a book deal? Or, or um, how did they write that chapter in that way? Or how did they think of that idea? Just stop it. It doesn't mm. actually serve you or them or anyone really. Um, no. any good and the brain space that you're t- that's being taken up by those thoughts are uh, the energy that's taken up by those thoughts are just it's just better channeled and better spent on actually completing your manuscript as you said mm. Mm. yes so get to the end worrying. get to the end i love it all right now it links to anything mentioned in this episode are available in our show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. And the next link that uh, is from a site called The Millions, and it's called Don't Worry, Don't Wait. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> just reinforces everything we just said. I love it. Yes. And it's by Nick Ripatrazzoni. And uh, Nick writes, I think it's just so true. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all overwhelmed, stressed and frustrated. And in this hurricane of life, our writing is often put last. The danger of living frenetic, connected lives is that our excuses become comforting. We don't write because we can't write. Artistic existences become romantic fantasies. They always exist next month or next year or when we retire. And it's so true. Our artistic existences become Mm. romantic fantasies. They're not real. They're just things we think about. That's right. We think about we're going to write when we have the rose-covered studio, you know, in the country with cows out the window and, you know, peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. And yet. That's exactly right. If you don't start now, by the time you do get the rose-covered studio with the cows out the window, you won't do it then either. This is my theory. And I also have another piece of advice on that too because I remember having a conversation with my good friend Alison Rushby and we were talking Mm. about this because, um, you know, I mean, you know, we all have the fantasy. I would love to be sitting in a rose-covered studio, you know, looking at cows. But, you know, as she said to me, she goes, I want Bougainvillea. Mm -hmm. You what? Sorry. I want Bougainvillea instead of roses. Bougainvillea is so scratchy, though. And Uh, roses smell beautiful. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying. Just saying. Anyway, Al and I are having this conversation, and she goes, you know what? It doesn't matter what's out the window. If you're going to write, you're going to write. And what's out the window is not going to change what you put on the page. And she's Mm. so incredibly right about that. It's not funny. You can't wait for the perfect place. You can't wait for the perfect time. The only time you have is right now, and you have Mm. to make the time to do it. Absolutely, you have to make the time to do it, even if that time is sitting in the car waiting for your kids when you're picking them up or something. Absolutely. Always available. There's always time if you look for it and if you make time for it. And, of course, what's launching this week is oh, make time Alison's, to write. <laughs> Alison's course. Yes, how to make time to write, which is fantastic course. I've gone through it. I think it's fantastic. It's so practical. It's not. It's 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 literally step by step. Um, all of the strategies that you can put in place when you've got a busy life. And Alison has, you know, two children, multiple work commitments, and still writes novels that are published and successful. And so she really has it down pat in terms of making time to write and her 
strategies. I learnt a bunch of things which I'm going to put in place as well. And one of the best things about the course is that uh, there's a program that you can undertake where you will write 10,000 words in 30 days. So I think it's a cracker. And if you want more information on it, uh, have a look at writercenter.com.au slash time. That's mm. writercenter.com.au slash time. Fantastic course. Make sure you register your interest at, to get a special pre-launch offer, which only will be available this week. Ooh. So, yes, Ooh, very, very exciting. exciting. Mm. So now, I was thinking about it while I was sitting in the car writing 1,200 words while my son played touch footy the other day. (laughs) Thinking about what? Just thinking about, you know, making time to write and thinking about how I was just living the dream right there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I remember once. Oh, Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, yes. I was just going to say, I remember once I had a really busy period and I needed to make more time to write and I was at the theatre like watching, you know, some – Thing. Stage play. Yeah. And I just, you know, it's that concept of snatched time. It was the intermission and that was the time that I had. So I got out my notebook and I just <laughs> tapped, I just wrote away for that entire intermission. And But I managed to get, you know, 500 words done in that 20 minute, 10 minute period. And Sometimes I bet you enjoyed you the second half it. even more because <laughs> it was done. I just exactly. always feel so much better once it's done. It's just so, exactly. it's so, it's such a relief. Exactly. Even if it wasn't done, just the fact that there was progress mm. uh, certainly made a world of difference. All right, yes. Now we will finally get along to our giveaway this week. Yes. And our giveaway is awesome. It's your chance to win uh, the p- pilot 2017 Diary for Writers. Now, this is put out by Pilot Press and it's specifically a diary for writers and there's over 200 pages of writerly wisdom plus obviously a diary and contributions from people like Benjamin Law and Carmel Bird and Mem Fox and the Australian Writers' Centre where we have quite a number of tips on how you can build your author platform. It also has a bunch of uh, writing competitions and festivals and awards that you can enter. Uh, It's valued at $29.95, but we have two to give away and you just need to go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Uh, You can enter until Monday the 12th of December. But if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, there will be some other thing for some other fantastic prize at writercenter.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, are you ready for our word of the week, Al? So ready, Val. So ready. You weren't paying attention just then, were you? Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) I may have just quietly synapsed off a little. I think my neighbours just started chainsawing again. Again. Can I just say again? And I think I got distracted. Sorry. I'm back, though. So let's talk about your word of the week. It's Enervate. E-N-E-R-V-A-T-E. Enervate. Do you use that much? No. I don't use it much. And you know, to be honest with you, I have a feeling that even, I don't think I've ever actually used it in a sentence and I have a feeling that maybe I had the meaning wrong. Maybe I thought it meant the opposite to what it means. Okay. Well, I think it does sound a bit, you know, it sounds a bit like it means to energize, right? To innovate. Let's innovate the room or let's innovate this group. But actually the opposite 
is the truth. So it actually mm. means to deprive of energy or vigor. So you might say the innovating atmosphere in the room made everyone lose enthusiasm. Ah. So there you go. Innovate. Yeah, so there you go. I would have probably used that incorrectly if I had ever used it, which I don't think I ever have. Well, there you go. Now you know and now you can all sleep. Yeah, I feel so much better. Yeah, it feels so much better. (laughs) All right, let us move on then. You'll feel it's no. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. It was a joke. It was a joke. See, Mm. joke. Anyway. Okay. So let's move on. Let me recoup my losses and let's go to the interview. Yes, we'll go to our writer in residence this week. Who is it, Al? Oh, our writer in residence this week is Carly Lane. And we are actually taking part in a blog tour as we speak, Valerie. It's quite exciting, isn't it? part of the blog tour. Mm. She is one of our uh, very, very successful rural romance authors. But she also, as I discovered during our interview, she also um, has self-published several novels herself. She likes to write uh, military I think it was military suspense, romantic suspense. Um, so we talked about, you know, the differences between the two, uh, you know, processes and we discussed you know, Australia's, you know, undying love of rural romance novels. Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was a really good chat. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Carly Lane is the best-selling author of nine novels, including Second Chance Town, Gemma's Bluff, and Bridie's Choice. A certified small-town girl, Carly's novels range from romantic suspense to family saga, and she is passionate about writing stories that embrace rural Australia and the vast communities within it. Her new novel, Third Time Lucky, is out now through Alan and Unwin. So welcome to the program, Carly. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. You just cast your mind back many, many moons. <laughs> How did a small town girl make it into publishing's big leagues? Uh, look, I honestly still pinch myself to this day, and it's just so surreal. But um, I actually went in through the Friday pitch with Alan and Unwin okay. and was lucky enough to be picked up with that. So I did it through that way. Can you um, just explain a little bit about how that works? Yeah, Uh you, it was really hard for me to start out to find where to pitch something to. A lot of things online were very daunting, like you needed ad, you know, agents and things like this. But I came across the Friday pitch with Alan and Unwin on their website. And you basically, they give, you submit something on a Friday. Um, that's the only time they'll take, I guess, unsubmitted, unsolicited um, items. And it's just a chance to get your first chapter or whatever it is in front of a publisher. And so that's what I did. I took the chance because it's very hard to try and get your stuff out there if you don't have agents and things like that when you're first starting out. And, um, yeah, they guarantee that they read everything and if they're interested, you'll hear back from them. If not, you don't get any sort of um, reject or a slip or a reason or anything like that. But it's just a good way to try and get your stuff out there. Okay, so when was that and how long had you been actually writing at that point? Um, that was back in 2009 because North Star came out in 2010, so probably early 2009. Um, I think I'd started writing when I was about 19. I decided I was going to write my first sort of novel, but it never really got past three or four pages. And then I figured it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, then it sort of got put a bit on the back burner. I sort of always dabbled. Then in between sort of the next few years, between having babies, I'd do some writing and then it'd get put away when you got busy again and pulled out a couple of years later. So it was probably about a 12-year kind of time frame that I was just dabbling in it until I decided one day I'm going to really actually try and figure out how to do this and give it a shot and see what happens. So that was sort of, sort of I guess, yeah, probably mid-2000 sort of thing from then on and then 2010s when I actually got published. All right, it so from, about, the, from the time you got serious, it took another – what, seven or eight years? Five or six years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many manuscripts did you actually write in that time? Um, basically only probably about two, mm-hmm. two or three, but I concentrated mainly on the first one, um, which was nothing like what I'm doing now. I sort of started out in the military romance sort of action 
stuff. And at the time, the only place I actually thought I could submit to was for Harlequin and Mills and Boone because they had that line of romantic suspense sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of started aiming at it then, but I sort of, yeah, I submitted to them probably about twice over probably five or six years, so I sort of got the nerve up to do that, and it got rejected both times. And then when I joined Romance Writers, um, we actually got to pitch to a, um, a publisher who was with Harlequin, and I pitched that same book that I had rewritten and gone back and changed and done things over the years. Uh, and they took a, they took the whole book to look at, but it was ultimately rejected again. And it was only self-published um, probably... About 2010, just before I sort of started doing it for Alan and Umland, so it was just about 2009, 2010, I self-published it. Oh, you self-published that first book, did you? Yeah. Okay. And that was a to be four books. Oh, okay. And that was a military (laughs) romance? It was, that sort of genre, yeah. It became a series. But I have actually got about, I think there's 11 all up self-published at the moment on that. That's what I was doing before I sort of got the nerve to do it through an Australian publisher type thing. All right, so let's just talk about that. Mm. I've got a couple of questions to ask you that's, that have come out of that little conversation we just had. First of all, mm. Romance um, Australia, Romance Writers is Romance Writers Australia. That's the Association yes. of Romance Writers. When did you join mm-hmm. that? At, at what kind of point in your in your journey did you join that association? I joined it about 2009, about just before I sort of submitted to Alan and Alan. Um could have been possibly 2008. Um, before that, I had actually only done my military stuff um, through competitions and that with romance writers. Um, I because you don't actually have to join; you can just do some of their competitions and stuff. Okay. So I got a lot of feedback from them earlier on through that. Yep. When I actually joined is when I decided I was going to do it pro- properly. So, um, And it was through them that I actually realised other avenues I could go and different types of writing and that's when I changed sort of to a more rural type book. Yeah. Okay, because that was going to be another question I was going to ask you. You started out writing sort of military romance, action, suspense kind of stuff. How did you then mm. come to rural romance? Because it was rural romance that, that got you into a mainstream publisher, correct? Yeah, yeah. I didn't actually know I was writing rule. I mainly just thought to myself, um, it hasn't been working out too well with the you know the romantic suspense. It's obviously not a big genre at the time that I could actually get into that it was I could find. So I decided to just maybe try something different, and I was learning a lot more. I was picking up so many great things through their you know workshops and things like that. So I decided I was going to write women's fiction, I thought, but because it was set in a small town and because, as luck would have it, when I submitted to Friday Pitch, that's exactly what um, Louise Sertel was looking for with um, Alan and Umlin, and that's how it sort of, I think, caught her eye because she was sort of looking for something that was more rural and it fitted that genre. And did you feel like when you were writing that first rural romance, um, so you've already at this stage, what, You've self-published 11 military romances at this stage? Oh, at that stage, probably only about two or three at the end. Oh, okay. I so you pub- kept, yeah, I kept doing it later. All right, so you self-published two or three um, of those. Yep. And what, you've, you would, what, what made you think at that point, I'm going to try to get into a traditional publisher here? Because Was it because you were finding that it wasn't kind of coming together for you with the self-publishing? Um. I was happy self-publishing. It was exciting. It was st- and I was learning a lot. I think it was because I was learning more as I went along. But I thought I want to keep going and I want to see how far I can get. And I guess ultimately I wanted my books in bookshops because um, the online stuff is great. Except you don't get it out in your you know your mainstream areas for buyers and things. Mm-hmm. And I think that was always my original dream. I was always just picturing a book on a bookshelf somewhere. That was originally what had sort of prompted me to actually keep writing. Um, Yeah, and I just, I think I wanted to try. I wanted to, I'd been writing that and that's sort of what I started with, but I was feeling like I wanted to try to go a bit further and do a few different things, like challenge myself, I guess, a little bit. See if I could actually, yeah, change what I was writing and I did. All right, and so then you've also um, you've continued to self-publish the military uh, romance, so romantic suspense at the same time mm-hmm. as you've been doing them. And why have you done that? Because that you know that's a lot of books you're writing there uh, every year to yeah. kind of keep all that together. 
It was. I, I haven't published anything probably for the last two years myself. For that reason, I'm now sort of really getting busy with my own sort of the Alan and Umlin side of it. Yeah. But um, I think it was too because I loved doing that romantic suspense and I loved all the different – well, different genres. I do a little bit of fantasy. There was a little bit of um, young adult. There was a bit of everything. I think that was my release right. <laughs> because because Alan and Umlin really only wanted me for rural – fiction mm-hmm. but I had all these other stories that weren't fitting storylines for rural fiction so I had to write them down as you do when you write so I was basically writing them for myself I guess. Okay and how do, mm. as far as the kind of distribution and self-publishing goes have you found that as your kind of mainstream profile has grown that the those books are also those self-published books are also you know selling better as well? Not necessarily. I don't really promote them as much as I should. I probably should. But um, I have got a lot of my earlier readers were buying those because I only had a couple of Alan and Unwin type ones out. Mm. I guess they were looking for more. So I, I would refer them on, well, I've got these other ones if you're interested, but they're not rural. And, and I was, yeah, and people really seemed to enjoy that. I guess I had the same sort of voice. It was just a different, maybe it was broadening their little genre mm. scopes as well. I don't know. But, mm. but I found as a reader when, um, when the whole Amazon thing took off and there was suddenly – I discovered all these different genres and different things. I really went out of my comfort zone, read lots of different things myself. It was, yeah, it was different when it first came on the market. There was just so much more to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess it was just exploring things and doing something new and, and writing. So obviously um, you're very drawn to romance because, you know, you write different facets of romance and your commercial, mm. like your women's fiction has, romance, you know, strong romantic elements. Um, what is it about the romance aspect that, that draws you in? I guess I started out reading romance. I remember reading, my nanny used to always have Mills and Boone sitting around the house. There'd be three or four different books going, you know, little tables here and there. And I started reading that. Then I moved on to... Um, well, actually, before that, I was reading the teenage romance things that you could buy then and then went on to Mills and Boone. It just seemed to be a natural thing. I think it's just something I've always had. And I guess I just like that fact, even though it's not probably full-on romance, I just like to have that core story that, yeah, there's, there's still something nice in the world. I think you need romance just to have something safe and that there can be some sort of happiness after, you know, an ending type thing with it. So you basically, you write what you like to read. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And was there anything that surprised you about the publishing process when you first, you know, when that first book was taken up by Alan and Unwin and you'd had self-published a couple yourself, so, you, you know, you had an idea of what was involved, but was there anything about mm. sort of publishing with a, a, you know, a mainstream publisher like that that, that surprised you? Yeah, I wasn't a millionaire instantly. That really surprised me. <laughs> I was counting on buying that castle in Scotland somewhere. Oh, no. I'm still be. recovering from the shock of that. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I guess it, it's all sort of a bit of a surprise because even though, like you said, I had a little bit of sort of an insight to what was going on, it's sort of not the full-on thing that an actual um, mainstream publisher has. But even that, I was for a long time in the dark with what happened. I just sent them my manuscript and sort of other than edits, the next time I heard from them was your book's out. (laughs) And that sort of surprised me because I was like, whoa, isn't there something in between? (laughs) What happens in between? (laughs) But um, over the years, I guess they sort of, you know, I I had to speak up and ask. I think they assume that you know a lot more than you do too. But, um, yeah, over the few years I've sort of, yeah, been told what happened, and it is. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't think I really thought much in the early days past the point of, uh, um, you know, a publisher ringing saying, we're going to publish your book. I, I, that was sort of the only thing I thought of, and after that I don't think I really knew what happened yeah, or yeah. cared, really. <laughs> it was just that, that one phone call I was waiting. As long as it got out there, who cares? Yeah. So why do you think Australia has taken the rural kind of romantic genre to heart the way it has what do you think it is about it that you know because they're huge sellers in the Australian market Mm. um and it's actually becoming quite a crowded market too so I'd be interested Mm. to know why you think that's that you know Australians have taken to it so much well from a personal point of view I know when I was reading any time I found a story that was Australian I would jump at it there was just nothing out there when um, Rachel Treasure stuff first came out. That was sort of the first grown-up romance 
in Australia that I could find. You know, I'd had the teen romances and you get the, the odd Mills and Boone, you know, Australian one that would come through. But just as far as mainstream, there was just nothing that really was Australian, I don't think, in that genre. Like, yeah, there was lots of other Australian writers and things, but for that romance and that rural sort of aspect. And I guess for a lot of us, even city people, a lot of people move from the country to the city. It might have been years ago, but I think maybe there's something there that they can connect with that, like they've got their roots still there and maybe it's sort of, it's familiar or something. I don't know, but Mm. I think it's the Australian side of it and that's familiar where you can sort of pick a book up and read about it and know that, you know, that's really only just up the road. It's probably more achievable to go there than it could be to fly to Paris or something because, Mm. and it's, they can relate to it probably. So given that you, given that you draw on small towns and you live in a small town, um, does, do you ever find you get a little blur in the lines of, you know, what's going on in your community and what you're writing about? And how do you hide um, that? <laughs> Just asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. Just asking for a friend. <laughs> I only ever based one character on a real person, and that was in my first book, and I swear to God I will never, ever do it again because oh. not realising it was going to be published, really. I don't know. I don't think I just made that comparison but um I was absolutely petrified this one person would figure out it was them and it was horrible so I've never ever ever done it again but I think you do just take bits and pieces and you develop these characters in your mind maybe something sparks it about a certain person or something but um yeah as far as people and basing characters I'm very careful about that now but often I will use um yeah, often I use the situations and things that are going on in town. Um, I've got one coming up that sort of features heavily on teenage pregnancy and things, and I think it's not even really um, just country towns. I think it's a, an issue everywhere, but I know that it's really obvious and really highlighted. There's a lot of you know, contributing factors that go towards that sort of thing, and I really wanted to focus a book on that sort of thing. Okay. And, and so sort of the fact you. that you live, um, you know, that you do live in a small town, do you, do you think that that, do you think that there's a, there needs to be an authenticity to this kind of writing, you know, to really help with, you know, to make it stand out? Like, do you think that that's, like, I'm just thinking, like, it's a, as I said, it's a very crowded market. Like, has mm. it become harder to stand out and cut through? And what do you think are the key factors to it? It is getting crowded, but then I think we have such a, a huge um, fan base, like our readers just love it and they support us all so well. They they really do buy just about every person that writes rural fiction. They, they're really supportive of the whole genre. But I think they've such got such big appetites for reading that they will, I don't think you can give them enough, you know. Um, I suppose as far as trying to stand out, I think you, you've just got to have your voice. You've just got to stay true to that and hope that, I mean, obviously people will follow the readers that they really enjoy. Mm. Um, And that's just what I try to do, I guess, just try to tell my stories my way and the way I have been and hope that that's just enough to stay good. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. Just just hope for the best. Yeah, we have a wonderful readership. They are so good and so supportive. Terrific. All right, so you're also writing romantic suspense, although you haven't for a couple of years, but and also family saga. Mm. Do you know what a novel's mm. going to be before you start? Do you know what you're no. writing before you begin? Okay. <laughs> Not really. Oh, sometimes I have a vague idea, but mostly it, it tends to develop as I go. Sometimes I start off and it might be just something that's going to be really simple, but then um, throughout there'll be different things that happen that suddenly turn it into a massive family dra- you know, saga or something. But, yeah. Um, no, I don't always go into something thinking, you know, what I'm going to do, which is very frustrating. It would be kind of good if I did, but I very much make it up as I go. So, yeah, I wish I was organised. So how many books a year are you actually writing at the moment? Because you've had, what are you up to, your ninth or tenth novel? Ninth, um, yeah. I write like a couple ahead. I try to keep a couple ahead, but lately we've been doing two books a year, which is really oh, messing up my whole it's messing up my thing, but they're not two books that I've written that year. I've sort of 
had them started and then I finish them and then, you know, move mm. on, mm. which is why I like having a lot started so that I've got something to go to. Um, this will be the first year. I've already submitted both books for next year, so that's good. Wow. But I've got, yeah, I've got one more on contract and then another two that I'm hoping will come from the, the last one. So if I can just, um, I'll have that bit of time frame to sort of, up my up my sleeve, which is what I like. I don't like working to a deadline. But um yeah, I mean they are putting two out a year, but I'm probably writing maybe one and a half a year realistically ahead wow. of them. So yeah. your Scottish castle's getting closer then, is it? I'm imagining <laughs> Yeah. Not so much. We wish. Still stuns me. All right, so what Still is can't believe. <laughs> what is your writing process then? Like how do you um if you say you're doing one and a half a year, like you that's what, a hundred and 50,000 words or something, approximately. Mm. Yeah, I'm not good at math. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm making it up to you. I've got two writers here doing maths, so let's not talk about that too much. That's a disaster waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> do, you have like a, do you have a set writing routine? Like do you sit down every day and do X number of words or, you know, how, do you, how does the process happen for you? I don't do a certain – I don't work on word numbers, I suppose, uh, mainly because I have a – an allergy to math Mm. but it's mainly a um I do try to do it every day and I do write from nine to three most days Mm. that's my aim um now that I can do it full time it's really good I've got that time there um yeah some days work out better than others some days I can do five seven thousand words maybe on a really good day other days it might be just a bit here and then I might write a bit later at night if I'm really needing to do some more mm. but um yeah I don't do a fixed number it's just yeah what comes out but I do try to do it every day if I can because I feel like I've done something then okay. <laughs> something useful <laughs> um, so you, you also have a, have a husband and four children which I'm imagining when you started writing you know because I, I know we were talking earlier and you said that two of your children are older and have left home now but um I'm imagining you were having to wedge the writing in around a lot of other things how did you manage that yeah. Uh, play school. Play school was my saviour. Um, sometimes we stretched it with DVDs <laughs> that I could sit them down in front of. <laughs> but um, it was just crazy. But I actually wrote more when I was doing that and working part-time at one oh. stage there. It was ridiculous. But I would just grab every 10 minutes or every every time the kids were distracted, I think I'd sit down and try and squeeze more in. And I think it's that... Um, knowing you've only got a certain amount of time, you really do tend to make the most of it. Yeah. Whereas now I sort of, I'll go and hang the washing out or I'll go down and hug the horse or I'll do something just, I don't know, because I can. And it's like, oh, dear, I wouldn't have done this, you know, three or four years ago. No. But um, it, it's a lot harder, I think, when you've got a lot of time on your hands. It shouldn't be, but it, it tends to be. You've got to be a lot more disciplined, I think, now. But I definitely got a lot more done when I was, running around like a crazy person okay do you spend a lot of time on the other aspects of publishing like is it I mean if you're doing a couple of books a year you've obviously got structural edits and copy edits and all of that but Mm. then also promotional work for each of your book launches are you doing a lot of that yourself like on social media for instance um I do Facebook a lot because I'm on there a lot so that's kind of an easy thing for me to do I just incorporate that yeah yeah I love Facebook um Twitter does my head in and Instagram I've got no idea about so we're just plodding along with those but my publisher handles a lot of that which is good I just share yeah. I love it when they sort of put it all out yeah but um it does sort of take up a bit of time you've sort of got to sit and it's usually the days you really start writing out of all the days you've got up your sleeve it'll be those days that you've got all these other things scheduled and it's yeah that um definitely does take up a bit but it's usually only for the first couple of weeks probably the lead up for the new book so but edits and things like that have always been a um yeah you just get into a new book start really getting into it and then your edits will come back so that's another week or so a couple of weeks up you know you've got to put Mm. that aside and concentrate on those so Mm. um it that does take up a bit of time too okay so tell us about your new novel which is called third time lucky um when and where Mm. did you first get the idea for the book and then how did that you know where how did it proceed from there um it started off as a novella actually that one which i had self-published years ago about 
three, four years ago. Um, December's Wish it used to be. And it was just that I think I just always want to drive a Christmas. I love Christmas novellas when it comes around Christmas time and they're all available. I love those stories. And I just thought I want to write one one day. But I could never really, for some reason, get into it. So I, I sort of made it a rule-based one. And... Um, I wasn't really good. Novella writing was really hard, I found. Like, it was really hard to condense, like, a story to that that sort of word count. So I did it, but I always felt that it needed more. <laughs> I don't know. There was something about it. I just, just wasn't natural for me to, to have that such short story out there. But um, Alan and Unwin decided that they wanted to pick it up and we could make it into a full mm. book, which was really good because I think that's what was – missing inside me. I think I just felt like, oh, these characters have been ripped off. Like, there's so oh, much more right. to tell. Right, so you were yeah. able to fully develop the story more and you were happier yeah. with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we did that. We've um, developed that one. And it's sort of still got the Christmas theme, I guess, is the, the central part of it. But it's more than that now. It's sort of more like a, um, a normal rural fiction book, I suppose. It's just got that Christmas element okay. in the centre of it. And what do you think is the key to making that romance and romantic elements work in a novel? Like, where, like, mm. what's, how do you, because, you know, you read bad romance. What's the, what's mm. the key to making a good one? <laughs> well, just for me, I suppose, I like to make my characters realistic. Like, I, I like to, usually the women are like really out of their element and very much like me if I was expected to do something I'd always stuff it up somehow <laughs> but I just try <laughs> I like to keep them normal so that you could actually feel like you knew these people and mm-hmm. I think maybe that helps if people you know it might be easier to relate to someone who lives in a small town who you know is a single mum or is a stressed mum or a, you know something basic that a lot of people can relate to I guess. I don't really know. <laughs> but, um, so you start like with the heroine, though, always, with regards to making um, the romance work? No, not always. Sometimes, most of the time. Yeah. Although I think um, in this one, especially in December, uh, Time Lucky, it was it was the character, Seth, who came back to town. It was his sort of story that started it. And then I developed her through that and then the, the town around that as well. So okay. it just depends. It depends what comes to mind first and how okay. to work it in. All right. So as our last question for the day, let us discuss your throp, throp, your three top <laughs> tips, <laughs> those throp tips, your, <laughs> your three top tips for aspiring authors. I guess the most important one I found was you don't give up. Like it gets really depressing, especially if you've got to the point where you're actually sending out things and they're coming back. It's really it sucks big time. It was really <laughs> not to put too really fine a point on it. It sucks. <laughs> it sucked. It really did. It was so bad. And I don't know. I just there were times where you'd just go, oh, it's too hard, and throw it down. But then you've got to get back in there. And if they've given you some reasons, which they don't always. It's good to try and focus on that feedback sort of thing, which is where the competitions and things, I think, which is my second point, come Mm. into it. I think you should probably, when you get a bit more confidence, you think it's up to sort of where it should be, send it off to some kind of competition. And a lot of the times they will have feedback come back from those, which I know really did help me Mm. because it's like giving it to someone to read. When you And even today I still will get my friend to read my rough draft just to see if there's something that's I've missed, like a link to the relationship that doesn't seem real or a jump from one thing to another and just that it actually makes sense. Things like that is what these competitions will pick up mm. so that it gives you a better shot at sounding a bit more professional. Mm-hmm. And um, and rewriting, like my original story, I thought it was the best thing ever when I finished it. It was the best book and couldn't believe that it was getting rejected. These people were obviously insane. But then having reread it <laughs> several years later, I'm like, oh, my God, how would I have ever sent that out? What was I thinking? It was just you've got to – and from that first story, the, the actual book now that it is, it's so different and, like, doesn't look like a kindergarten wrote it. So <laughs> you've got to – Not to be too hard on really, yourself or anything. <laughs> it was bad. It was so bad. But at the time, I thought it was brilliant. You sort of – 
you need to sort of step back, but you need to not be frightened to go in and basically rip its guts out and redo it because it was still the same story, but it was just professional <laughs> compared to what that was. So, And that only happened after it was oh, lots of years being put down, picked up, redone, sent to a you know, a competition and then gone back in and tried to fix that. It happened over time, but um, you've sort of got to really, really um, keep writing to make it better because you can't just, your first one's not going to be brilliant and that's, you know, you need to hone in your, your techniques and things and that only comes with practice. So Fantastic. don't give up and just keep going. Excellent advice that we can all take on board. So thank you so much for your time today, Carly. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with Third Time Lucky. We do love a Christmas story, so hopefully, and a good timing for a Christmas story as well. Um, (laughs) Perfect. Funny that. Um, And, uh, yeah, (laughs) thanks. And and good luck with that crazy publishing schedule that you have as well. It sounds incredibly punishing. (laughs) I'll need a good Christmas drink after that. You certainly will. All right. Thanks, Carly. Thank you. Wow, good on Carly Lane for being so persistent and trying out different things until she found her groove, huh? Well, that's right. I think sometimes you do have to try different things. You sort of, it's a, I guess it's a little bit like me in some ways in that sense that you, you start writing something that you think works, that you should be writing, and it's not until you actually try something different that you maybe find the thing that you're meant to be writing, not the thing that you yes. you think you should be writing, but the thing that you actually should be writing. So yeah. I think that was quite interesting. And I love the fact that she got her breakthrough, Alan and Unwin's Friday Pitch. I think that, you know, yes. it's been such a great bonanza for so many Australian authors, you know, is that that ability to um, – and, of course, Alan and Unwin does this every Friday and you send the chapter in and if they want to see more of it, you'll hear back from them within a couple of weeks and, you know, mm. if they're not that interested, you won't hear anything from them. But mm. it's that opportunity to get your opening chapter in front of – a publisher and they read them all. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a fantastic obviously in for um for authors who are, you know, mm. writing thing that needs to be published. So be proactive and pitch. But importantly, if you are going down a certain path, it can't hurt to experiment with trying something else. And I can already think of someone whose manuscript I've read and I know that there's something there, but I but in my gut, I actually think you should try this other genre because I happen mm-hmm. to know a little bit about this person and their background and stuff. And I just think that he would be perfect for that, but I've yet to convince him. But anyway. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yes. So we have an app recommendation from Hannah. Now, okay. Hi, Hannah. Hannah. Yes. Hi, Hannah. Hannah, this is an interesting one. Hannah has said, we've moved house and now have room to shelve our ever-growing library as well as inheriting an existing one. Uh-huh. It's pure joy, but I'm desperate to organise and catalogue it. I've discovered, this is Hannah saying, I've discovered that the Goodreads app has a barcode scanner that allows you to scan your book's barcode and add it onto one of your bookshelves within the app. I've created mm. one called My Library and intend one day to scan in all of the barcodes so I have a full catalogue of our books. Wow. This may never happen, but a girl can dream. I know, right? Like, it's I, I haven't even thought of that myself. And she says you are able to search your bookshelves in the app if you're looking for something in particular and add to other shelves. Like, for example, you might have to read or something to keep your reading list organised. So um, Hannah has said, now my quandary is how to organise the actual shelves by genre, by author, by subject or whatever. Mm. I mean, first Mm. of all, thank you for sharing that with us, Hannah. Mm. Um, I didn't even, I didn't know that. But what do you think, Al? Do you think, if you were doing this, would you organise by, yeah, your shelves by genre, (sighs) by author, by what? what? I'm just looking at my shelves here. (laughs) Which yes. is so not organised at all, mm-hmm. and thinking that I would probably like if I were actually you know that person that was going to organise yeah. them, I'd probably just do the whole thing in alphabetical order. Really? Is that sad? Is that tragic? Well, it's not tragic. It's just I wonder how practical that is. You know, but I, don't I look think... for I look for like I know who wrote the book, so I to find the book I would look I for guess. the author. I think as long as, look, you know what, do them however you want, just don't do them by colour because that whole organising my my library by colour thing is 
just I oh, just my is God. interior designer, not reader, I as far as I know. I know. I have seen that, and I just shake my head. <laughs> I mean, really. I'm only buying yellow books this year. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't laugh. There's probably people yeah, out there sorry. that are loving it. I'm Apologies sorry. if that's you. That's you. Sorry. Um, but you know what I would really want, Hannah, if I was you, is I would actually want a library date stamp and I would want <laughs> and I would want some of those little index cards like they used yes. to have in libraries. In the, I want a library set with a stamp. That's what I want. Yes, yes. Oh, right, because I reckon I would um, categorise by, uh, by topic. Um uh, yeah, yeah. Non-fiction. you've got a non-fiction library, haven't you? Well, I do have fiction and non-fiction. However, it's the non-fiction Mostly one non-fiction. That, that is categorised, yes, by, yeah. by so category. If I was doing non-fiction, then I would do it by topic, yeah, that would make sense. Like mm. I have a writing section on my shelf that's so got all my writing bits. But fiction, I mean, you know, beyond the fact that I have failed to do anything useful with it, um, I, I think that I would do the fiction by author alphabetically would you but what if there was a mixture of adult and children's and YA would you also lump them all in together yeah probably well see I have the so a lot of the kids fiction in this house is actually the boys both have massive bookshelves in their bedrooms like massive bookshelves and so all the kids fiction is organized in in their rooms. Um, so what's left is in my office is two, three shelves of um, other stuff, reference books my, and fiction, adult fiction. My first ever shared house, um, so my first ever time I moved out of home and had a flatmate, his entire collection was the Dewey system. No, it was a really neat house. (laughs) Wow, how long did you last there? (laughs) Yeah, I think I would have. I think I would probably have walked in and just gone. I don't think this is for me. (laughs) 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 And all of his albums and CDs were all alphabetical. Of course they were. Yes, of course. And he's probably still working on his list of top ten desert island albums yeah probably probably (laughs) (laughs) oh if you're listening I'm sorry you didn't mean to make fun of you (laughs) you so did all right so we have a question from Lauren now Lauren has said could you please give me some advice on how to build my author platform well you have come to the right place Lauren (laughs) Um, but a a summary of her question because it was quite long Uh, Lauren basically has been writing under a pseudonym because she didn't want to mix her professional and her personal life but now she doesn't care and she's happy to put her actual name to her writing and um, she has said your podcasts have made me realize that I should have had a writer slash author website a long time ago I'm thinking I'd like to create an author slash writer website using my name, then link to my blog so that I don't lose the foundation I've already established over the years. So Lauren has an existing blog that has some level of following. Um, so she continues, I've just started to transition away from a multitude of book reviews simply because I don't have the time and have started to post just one to two per month along with a discussion post on reading or writing. I often have author interviews, participate in blog tours and host guest spots on my blog. So it's quite an active blog. Mm. I guess I'm wondering if it's okay to use a blog created for a different purpose and recreate it into an author slash writer blog. Would love to know what you think. Take it away, Al. <laughs> well, you know, the short answer to that is is yes. Um, mm. It's completely fine to do that, and particularly given the type of blog you're talking about there. You know, you've, you're already doing book reviews, author interviews, blog tours, guest posts. Yep. Um, I see absolutely no issue whatsoever with um, with rolling that over, and this is what I think needs to happen. I think you need to roll that blog over into a website that has your name on it. So we need mm. www.lauren you know, laurenwrites.com, whatever, um, mm-hmm. and then you add a couple of other pages to it about, you know, whatever, um, and mm-hmm. then you, there you are, you're there, and you've got your name uh, 
is is front and centre. You've got yeah. all your blog posts that you've already done still there. Your following can go with you because, you know, this is what I did when I first rolled, when I, was, I started my blog as Life in a Pink Fibro and I wrote mm. on that for several years, when I decided mm. that I was ready to brand myself as an author, I rolled that blog over into alisontate.com. And so all of those people just came with me because the blog didn't change. Yeah. The blog was still there and I just added a whole bunch of other stuff to it. And then when I had news about books and all those sorts of things, I um, I simply put them in the blog and everybody was, you know, hooray. Um, That's so right. I yeah, so because you've got an existing community there and I'm sure that they would be more than thrilled to go with you on your journey. You don't have to write about mm. writing all the time um, and, in fact, I suggest that you don't write about writing all the time because, you know, but you, what you write about are all the things that you're passionate about. So you start to branch out a little bit from your book reviews and your author interviews mm. and we start to see a bit more of Lauren and what Lauren likes and what Lauren's writing about in the sense of if your book's about murder mysteries or your book's about you know, medieval castles or your books about whatever it is, like whatever, start to take some of those aspects of your book and just sort of give little hints and bits and pieces of that sort of stuff through your work. Yes. Absolutely. And and also, even if people had an old link of yours, like let's say they had a link of lifeinthepinkfibro.com slash whatever the blog post was, you can just set up redirects so that they come to now alisontate.com and then whatever the rest of the URL is. So mm. you don't lose traffic and old links if you can set up those redirects as well. That's, and that's right. pretty and it- easy to do. That's right. And a WordPress, you know, any sort of competent WordPress designer will be able to help you with all of this stuff um, and yes. help you to, to do put the redirects in place and, and sort out all the back end of it for you. And there are so many great WordPress designers. And the easiest way to find yep. one that you like is to have a look at websites that you like and look for the credits at the bottom because WordPress designers will always, there will be a thing at the bottom that says this site by blah, blah. And you can go yes. through and have a look at those and get some quotes. Yeah, absolutely. And I suggest getting, you know, say three quotes and then going with the one that you like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you uh, for that question, Lauren. But definitely it's time for you to start building your author platform and to come out from being anonymous or come out mm-hmm. from your pseudonym and put your real name to your writing since you're happy to do that anyway. Uh, yeah, good luck with it. Yes, um, Absolutely. And, of course, these tips and other fantastic step-by-step strategies and a wonderful blueprint on how you can build your author platform. So, Lauren, I highly suggest this for you as well, uh, are all found in Alison's course, which is how to build your author platform. And Mm. that can be found at writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right. We're almost at the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in this coming week? Oh, it's quite an interesting week this week because I will be working on the copy edit of Mapmaker Book 4, which is, oh, you know, wow. very, yeah, yeah, we're, it's um, very close to heading off to the to the printers, et cetera. So I've got to, um, yeah, I've got to work through that. Um, got quite a quick turnaround. That's so amazing because I remember when there was Mapmaker Book Nothing. <laughs> and now no, there's Map Maker Book not, Four. <laughs> it's not that long ago that there was Map Maker Book Nothing. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty amazing two years since mm. the first book came out. So um, it's been busy, really busy. Um, but mm. yeah, so the fourth book out next April, and so I'm yeah I'm working on the copy edit for that, and I'm still of course, working on the draft of the manuscript that I started for NaNoWriMo. And um, you'll be very happy to hear that I finished my bride feature last week in the midst of all of the things that were going on. Um, so that was exciting. <laughs> I, haven't oh done, I haven't done one of those for so long. It was hilarious. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, that, those are my main two focuses for this week will be the copy edit and the first draft. And you, Val, oh, what are good. you doing? Um, I've got some corporate writing. Well, it's actually, um, what do you call it? Branded journalism. Um, So I've got a piece that's due there and uh, it's almost finished. So I'm really happy with it. Um, So that's going to appear on a major website soon. I probably can't say anything yet because it hasn't appeared. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an interesting point for people who are thinking of doing branded journalism is that you may end up on a, you know, major website. But in fact, it's not the major website paying you. It's the client who mm. is effectively, you know, buying some space on the major website, but they're paying you very, very good rates, like much more than the major website would pay you, um, to, to write the copy. So that's certainly an option for all of the freelance writers out there who want to um, increase their income and explore other opportunities apart from just traditional 
mm. traditional freelance journalism. Mm. Um, and so there's that. And I'm also having visitors like overseas visitors, like oh. four people staying in my house, in two of whom are children. <gasps> and this is like Valerie, the terror, the horror. Are you okay? I'm sure they're really lovely. Like I have no doubt they're lovely, but I've never had children stay at my house before and I, I don't know like what to Never do. <laughs> in the history of Val have children stayed at your house. That's right. Oh, that's so hilarious. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be ringing you for tips, Al. I can oh, tell you that free. now. I, mean, I don't even know what to feed them. Like Just you feed them different things. A lot, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How old are they? The children in question. Oh, yeah, nine a lot 11, yeah. for starters. Really? But also 9 yeah. and 11, Val, like, as I think we've discussed, they will, they're pretty self-catering at that age. They, they're not going to bother you too much and they certainly aren't going to be sort of, you know, chewing on your rugs or anything like that. Well, they're self-catering, but they, they not if there's no food for them to cater themselves with. That's no, my well, problem. You, you are going to have to actually put something in the cupboard like and the right. fridge. Like that <laughs> milk and start with milk, bread and eggs and, you know, just build on that. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll let you know next week, guys, how it goes. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear. Hilarious. All right. So where do we find you online now? You will find me at alisontate.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at altate, A-L-T-A-I-T. Uh, you will find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you will find me on Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And I just completely forgot to mention something that I need to mention. Oh, go on. Um, well, if I, I've got a giveaway going on of three ah. signed, I know I should have mentioned this earlier. I've got yes. a, a, you can win three mm-hmm. signed like a copy each of the first three books of the Mapmaker Chronicles signed, yes. as well as this rather cute little leather notebook arrangement that I that I have to go with that. Um, but to enter, you have to be a subscriber to my newsletter. Oh, um, yes. You need to subscribe by the first of December. To, uh, so that you will then get full instructions on how to enter the giveaway via the newsletter. So if you're not signed up to my newsletter, which you can do at alisontate.com, then mm. please. It is a cracker of a newsletter. It's really please. good. So useful. Sign up because I've got these three assigned books to give away as well as a really cute notebook, which I would like to keep for myself, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so generous of you. <laughs> anyway, yes. so that's just an aside. Sign up for Alison's newsletter. It's fantastic. It's really, really useful and she puts a lot into it and I just think it's I think it's great. I read it all the time. Uh, all right. So, well, if you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, at Instagram and Twitter. And, yeah, just uh, search for me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo that's in Sydney and it'd be great to connect with you. But until next time, everyone, have a great week and we look forward to chatting to you again then. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.